Father, worship you in spirit and in truth, anoint our voice, our ears, our hearts, our minds. May we be attentive to what the Spirit has to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 22 and 23. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us, and delivered us into the hand of this, the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is, who goes down to battle, so shall his part be. He who stays by the supplies, they shall share alike. I want to pick up the sermon series from 1 Samuel again. And um, today I want to talk about the team that God builds. The team that God builds, or we can use a synonym, the church that God builds, or the ministry that God builds. You remember the story, the Amalekites had attacked a Ziglag, burned the city down, and taken David's wives and the wives of his men and his children away. And then David and his men, uh, David uh, asked of God, shall we pursue? And God says, yes, and you will be victorious. And so in their pursuit of the Amalekites, not knowing where they were going, uh, they come across this Egyptian slave uh, of an Amalekite. And, 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 and David confronted him and he told David where uh, the, this, the Amalekites were, were camped out. And, 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 and he asked David to promise not to kill him if he told him. And David promised. And he asked David not to give him back to his master if David told him. David promised. So, so he took David down to the place where the Amalekites were camped. And back in verse 16 reveals that the Amalekites, get this now, were spread out all over the land. What that tells us, the writer is trying to tell us, is that they are numerous. That's what the writer is saying. When it says they're spread out all over the land, they are numerous. Now remember, David only has 400 men. Not only are they spread all over the land, but they're eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. It was party time. It was, it was as cool in the gang would say back in the day, it's time to celebrate. They must have felt similar to MC Hammer who said, you can't touch this. Pride and arrogance, inflated egos tend to lure people into a false world, whereas they believe because they have money, they have power, they have fame, they have fortune, they have authority, that they cannot be touched by anyone or anything. Yet unbeknown to these frivolous fools, it was about to rain on their parade and the lights was about, were about to go out on their party. Because in verse 17, notice David attacked them. 
And David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. The Bible says not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. And I thought about that thing. I said, you know, why did these 400 men get away? Why did God allow them to get away? And, 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 and my belief is that God wanted 400 young voices to ride out all over the land and testify to the power of Israel's God that with 400 men, Israel's God led them to wipe us out, except for those of us who were able to escape. David attacked them, and only 400 men, young men, escaped. Now, when the battle was fought and the victory had been won, David, the Bible says, recovered all. It reminds me of that song that says, I, I take back what the devil took from me. I shall recover it all. Everything the Amalekites had taken from David was recovered by David. And verse 18 says, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. That meant all the wives were recovered. All the sons and daughters were recovered. All the stuff of any value the Amalekites had taken away from David when they attacked Ziglag was recovered. Verse 19 concludes when the words... David recovered all, concludes with the words, David recovered all. But not only did David get his family back and the families of his men back and all their possessions back, they also took the flocks and the herds that had belonged to the Malachites. And, and one commentator says that, that they probably took all of their gold and all of the silver and all of the precious metals that had been captured, uh, been taken by the Malachites. David got all of that. What David did was an indication of an unwritten rule of warfare, which was to the victor goes the spoils. Now watch carefully as the drama unfolds. In verse 21, David re returned to the 200 men who be had been so weary that they could not follow him into battle and fight for the release of their families. Those who were le left waiting by the brook Basar. When they went out to meet David and to re be reunited with their families, David came near them and greeted them. What a great day that must have been. David came near them and greeted them. Then verse 22 tells us, all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoils that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children that they may lead them away and depart. Think about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Notice verse 22 identifies these men as wicked and worthless. Now, I pondered that, Pastor Harris, Pastor Joe, because I thought, I said, well, to say, call them wicked would have been enough. But the writer says that they were wicked and worthless. And so I said there must be something here. So I did a quick word study. The word wicked used uh, is a Hebrew word used to describe the continuous practice of evil. These men were always into doing something evil. 
The word worthless, or as the King James uh, New International Version, uh, King James Version translates men of Belial, is used to describe those who are lawless, rebellious, out of order, or as the NIV translates, <coughs> troublemakers. So when you see the word worthless, that means they were just troublemakers. They were always in the stuff, always pushing up stuff. So when the text identifies this group of men as wicked and worthless, it's referring to those not outside of David's camp, not the Amalekites, but it's referring to those in the camp who were living in continuous rebellion against God and looking for opportunities to stir up trouble. Now, there are several dynamics associated with this group that warrants further investigation. First, this group was out of order. They were completely out of order. Look at the text, the latter part of verse 21, which states, And when David came near the people, he greeted them. David came to the people, and he greeted them. But following closely on the heels of David's greeting, and before David could address the people, verse 22 states, Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said. Stop right there. Does anybody see the disorder? Does anybody see the anything that's out of order? Does, the, does anybody see the disorder here? The disorder is that these guys have no business questioning and addressing the crowd at this time. That's David's job. Do you see that in the text? David greeted the people, and, but before he could, before David could continue, they jumped in. Illustration. Let's say you are a teacher, administrator, a nursing supervisor, a coach, or a manager on your job. You were given a major project which you and your students or your staff or your team completed successfully. A news conference is scheduled. All of the cameras are there. All of the reporters are there. You walk into the conference room, greet the reporters and the people, but before you can make your statement and answer questions, folk in the group are speaking up in your place. Speaking out in your stead. That was the scenario David faced. No wonder Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14 and 40, let all things be done decently and in order. But not only were these wicked and worthless men out of order, they were out of their lane. Notice what they said, in, the Bible says, in, what they said in verse 22. Because they did not go with us, we, and I underlined that, and I put that in boldness on, on my manuscript. Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. Excuse me? The question on the floor demanding to be answered is this. Who put you in charge? Who put you in charge of deciding who gets what? Who, who, who gave you that authority? Who called, anointed, 
ordained, authorized, sanctioned, gave approval to this wicked and worthless group to make that call. If anybody should have been addressing this issue, it should have been David. Or am I right about it? Why? Because David was God's anointed, God's appointed, God's ordained leader of Israel. Go back to 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13 and read of David's anointing. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, meaning David, in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David, not the spirit of the Lord upon wicked and worthless folk. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. By overstepping their boundaries and making decisions that were not theirs to make, these wicked and worthless men were stirring up confusion in the body. No wonder Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not the author of confusion. But not only was this group of Wicked and worthless men uh, uh, out of line and out of their lane. They were also out of their minds. They said in verse 22, we will not give them any of the spoil we have recovered except for every man's wife and children that they may lead them away and depart. They were out of their minds. Nobody but nobody in their right God-given mind would have made such a statement. Nobody but nobody with a compassionate heart would have brought such a proposal to the table. Nobody but nobody with a mind operating under the auspices, the influence of the Holy Spirit would have outlined such a plan. Well, let's go deeper. History as well as human nature, although the text does not say this, history and human nature will bear, uh, bear, out, bear me out with what I'm about to say. When one army defeated another and took their women captivity, into captivity, those women became slaves. They became the property of the conquering army. Now imagine this. Use your imagination here. The Amalekite soldiers had been in the field away from their families. These were fighting men. These were soldiers. They had been out away from their families in the fields. We don't know for lo- how, how long, but we do know at least six to seven days they had been away from home, at least. At least. All of a sudden, they have a multitude of women in their midst. Now, now, you know, mind you, these men, they don't know God. They're not trying to please God. They're not functioning on, on godly morals and values and ethics. They, they, they are pagan. Now, all of a sudden, they have a multitude of women and foreign women at that in their camp. Do you think 
They are sitting around all night watching TV, playing video games, uh, standing around the campfire singing Kumbaya. Probably not. Add to this, to this account the fact that these guys don't know God and are not the least bit interested in living holy. The fact that many of them are young. Lit 400 young men got away. Many of these guys are young. They are immature and they're dealing with physical cravings, if you know what I mean. The fact that they have alcoholic beverages to consume. As a matter of fact, when David, when David attacked them, the Bible says they were eating and drinking and dancing. Drinking meant that they were consuming intoxicating beverages. The fact that you have a group of, of, of men, some of them wild, away from home, away from their families, and now they have all of these women in their midst sets up the potential for real for some real bad things to happen. Are you following me? Things like mental abuse, things like emotional abuse, things like verbal abuse, and things like physical abuse without restraint. Who's going to stop them? So it was the last thing these emotionally traumatized women and children need to hear upon being released from captivity was that you are no longer welcome here. They were rejected by those who were supposed to love them, protect them, and provide for them. Yet what you have in the text is an example of a group of wicked and worthless men who could care less about hurting people. And separating families. These were sisters. These were nieces. These were nephews. These were cousins. In fact, do you want to know what one of their major concerns was? They were concerned about money. That's it. It doesn't take rocket science to figure out that these guys did the math and came up with the formula that a split 400 ways would net them much more income than a 600 way split. So we get ready, get rid of a third, get rid of 200. That's more for us. More livestock for us, more gold for us, more silver for us, more spoils for us. The desire to increase their financial portfolios was a far greater value than keeping the group together and pressing forward with the mission. Now, my hat's off to the GHMBC family, Good Hope family, and every congregation of baptized believers in Jesus Christ who live by the ordained standard that people, don't miss this, are more important than profit. Over the years, good hope, over the years, you have come to understand that the proclamation of the gospel is the primary function of the church. You've made it a priority to proclaim 
to a sin-sick world that Jesus suffered, Jesus bled, and Jesus died on Calvary's cross to save sinners. And on the third day, Sunday morning, Jesus rose victoriously from the grave with all power in his hands. That's what you have made your priority. My hat's off to you. I believe after going on at this church almost 17 years that one of the reasons God is blessing this church is because this church continues to model a ministry mindset that says telling people about Jesus and what he did for sinners is of greater value to us than raising the figures in the church bank account. Are you listening to me? This church family has consistently put his money where his mouth is by reaching out to help people who have been hurt, people who have been abused, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the downcast, the stepped over, the stepped on, the kick to the curb, and the thrown under the bus. Oh, may we never turn our back. On the words Jesus spoke in Matthew 28, 18, and 20, when he said to his church, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our mission. That's our divine mandate. Oh, may we never lose sight of the mission and exchange obedience to the words of Jesus for the size of a church building, the increase of a church budget, and the figures in the church bank book. Now look again at verse 22 and you'll see further evidence that these wicked and worthless men are out of their mind. They're out of their minds because of their unwillingness to share resources. But not only that, they're out of their minds because they are willing to turn their backs on their own and hurt those who desperately need their help. Can I walk in the text just a little bit? This is the text speaking, right? This, this is the text. They said in verse 22, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoils that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. In essence, they're saying, we don't care where you go. We don't care what happens to you. Your welfare is not our concern. So get your hat, your coat, and leave. That phrase stuck in my mind. I was at a Bartow basketball game this past season, and Bartow was really running over this team. I mean, they were beating them bad. I, I felt bad for the team they were beating. I wanted Bartow to win, but I mean, they were beating them up. And, and, a, and a group of kids on our side began to chant, get your hat, your coat, and leave. Well, from a biblical standpoint, do you see the insensitive, the context of this story? Do, do you see the selfishness? Do you see the coldness? Do you see the insanity in their, in their statement? Which poses another question on the floor, which is this. Where are they to go? 
are they to go? Where, where are 200 men with emotionally and mentally and physically perhaps abused women and children? Where are they going, they going to go? Go back to Ziglag? No. Ziglag had been burned to the ground. So they can't go there. There's nothing worth going to in Ziglag. How about back to King Saul? No, Saul has been humiliated by them leaving and infuriated them with them for, for abandoning him and following David. He's out to kill them, and he would kill them on sight if they went back home to Saul. Go to Achish? No, because by now, Achish and the Philistine army commanders who hated David in the first place have figured out that David and the Hebrews are not really for them, but against them, and, and, and they would execute them on the spot. And remember those 400 young Amalekites that escaped from battle with David who are still roaming around fit to be tied? They would jump at the chance to retaliate against this small group for what David did to the Amalekites. Maybe to their brothers, maybe to their fathers, maybe to their nephews, maybe to their uncles. But they were angry. So surely sending the 200 men away with their families was signing their death certificate. How gross, how greedy, how grave a proposal. But yet these men, wicked and worthless, made such a proposal. But thanks be to God for David who although faced with a potential crisis on his hands that could lead to heartbreak, bitter feelings, the loss of a third of his army, and even death, responds in verse 23 saying, My brethren, you shall not do with what the Lord, get this, has given us. David said, you didn't do it, the Lord gave it to us who have preserved us. David said, we didn't keep ourselves. God kept us. You said this is what we did. David said this is what God has done. And delivered us into, and delivered into our hands the troop that came against us. David said, God gave us our enemies into our hands. The first thing David does is remind his men that God won the battle. Help me somebody. Not them. David said, whatever measure of success we had on the battlefield, it came from God. Whatever victories we had on the battlefield, they came from God. Whatever success we had on the battlefield, it came from God. I know your heads are swelling with pride, David would say. But let me remind you that if it had not been for the Lord on our side, Here's a footnote for you, good hope. Sometimes when God gets to blessing us, 
If we're not careful, we can get off track and forget where we came from. And, and, if, and if we aren't careful, we can get forget about who it was that brought us. We can get to the place of worshiping our stuff, worshiping our empire, uh, becoming overly protective of our assets. But David would have us to know this day that it's not about us. It's not about how smart we are. It's not about how gifted and talented we are, but it's all about how great our God is. That's why we are where we are. That's why we have what we have. Our bank account's not running over because we are so great. Our bank account is running over because God is so great and he's sending people and he's sending resources, not for us to hoard it, but for us to put it back into ministry. The second thing David does is tell them in verse 22, for who will heed you in this matter? In other words, if you make this serious mistake, there will be no one to defend the wrath of God against you. But as a part, but but as his part is who goes down to battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies they share alike. David said to the wicked and worthless service, let me tell you something. God is not supporting your endeavors to cut hurting people off. Don't think that if you do it, you will have defense in this matter. If you do it, no one will heed you in this matter. God is not supporting your endeavors to cut the people off. God is not in your decision to turn your back on hurting and needed people. Although they did not go and fight with us, they are still part of our family. They are still part of our team. They are still part of our congregation. Therefore, David said, we will share. We will share like. But wait a minute. Where did David come up with this? I mean, it sounds really good, doesn't it? Where did David come up with this idea of sharing and sharing alike? Is it David? Is it because you are in route to becoming the next king of Israel? Is it because you are anointed and appointed as our leader? Is it one of those do it because I said do it kind of deals? Where did you get this? No, no, no. It came from God's word. David was a great leader, but he knew the word. He had five books called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. David was a student of the word. That's the reason why he was able to write so many psalms. David was a student of the word. Let me show you where it came from. It came from Numbers 31, 27. Where God set the standard after Moses and the Israelites defeated the Midianites in battle. God said, divide the plunder into two parts. Notice this, between those who took part in the war, those who were actually involved in the hand-to-hand combat, those who went out to battle, and all the congregation. 
those who stayed home. One of the sweet things about that Haiti trip is that we're all a team. Those who were on the ground in Haiti, but those who were home praying were just as much a part of the team. Nobody can separate us. We're a Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church family, team. When one hurt, we all hurt. When one, when one is successful, we're all successful. So it was, verse 25 states, from that day forward, he, meaning David, made it a stature and ordinance for Israel to this day. So I want to conclude just with, with several things about the team that God builds. Just three things about the team that God builds. We learn that the team that God builds always keeps in mind that God did it. As a church family, we must always acknowledge that God has brought us and not we ourselves. I love the hymn that says, we have come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusted in his holy word, He's never failed us yet. Whatever we have, good hope, it comes from God. No room for boasting. No room for patting ourselves on the back. No room for getting up on our high horse. No room for bragging. But it all came from God. So when people ask you, how is it you do what you do? Tell them it came from God. Secondly, the team. That God builds, promotes unity within the body. Let's stay together. Don't send them away. They might be hurting, but don't send them away. And third and finally, the team that God builds stands on the word of God. 